0: Friends, what a sweet morning already, huh? Um, Before we dig into the sermon, I just want to say that the Lord is paving the way. There has been so much said already this morning that lines up exactly with this message that the Lord has given. Um, And it's interesting that several months ago, so I haven't preached for six months because I had a baby and was MIA, and here we are. Um, But a couple months ago, as I'm sitting in my recliner rocking this child, I had an email asking Is there there a sermon bubbling in you? Because we're looking at the preaching calendar, what's coming. And I have an app on my phone that has Bible verses on it, and that was my quiet time in that season of life. Rock the baby. Scroll the phone. (laughs) Um, And the Lord started to bubble up the message that I'm going to preach today as I was sitting in that chair. And by his providence, it lined up somehow perfectly to land after what Pastor Gina has been preaching, and it sets Pastor Dave up for what he's going to preach next week. So we bless the Lord for the way He puts this all together. And I just so believe that this is, this is the current word and it will bear good fruit as we obey. And so let's, let's dig in, shall we? Um, so we're going to be looking at faith that spans generations and we're looking at first Chronicles 28. Um, and right off the bat, I just want to say we're talking about generational faith. And if you are not or will not be a parent, do not check out. Don't, because our lives have an impact on the next generation, even if we don't have children in our home. And so this is one for all of us. Amen. Amen. All right. So from first Chronicles 28, we're going to read the whole thing for some context. This is the end of King David's life. King David was a man who was anointed to be king of Israel at the age of 15 while Saul was sitting on the throne. And King David didn't sit on that throne until he was 30 years old, so 15 years of waiting. He was a man of war whose life was full of ups and downs. You've got a man who went to war, who shed a lot of blood, a man who sinned in in profound ways, and a man who knew the Lord in a way that is unimaginable in some senses as we read the Psalms. David's been through a lot, he's seen a lot, he's experienced a lot, and this is the end. He gathers the leaders of Israel together, and he gives his final marching orders. And I want us to notice that he doesn't talk about great war strategy. He doesn't talk about budgets. Pay attention to what this man has to say. And so with that, we're going to read. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. King David rose to his feet. So he's very old. They make a point of saying this old man stands up. And he says, listen to me. My fellow Israelites, my people, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family. To be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah, that's a tribe, as leader, and from that tribe of Judah he chose my family. And from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, Is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unwavering in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful. To follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans for all the spirit had put in his mind. For the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord, as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps and the weight for each lampstand and its lamps. The weight of silver for each silver lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. The weight of gold for each table for consecrated bread. The weight of silver for silver tables. The weight of pure gold for forks, sprinkling bowls and pitchers. The weight of gold for each gold dish. The weight of silver for each silver dish and the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense He also gave him the plan for the chariot that is the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and overshadow the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, my God. My God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And so all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work of the temple of God. And every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. This is the word of the Lord. What a download. (laughs) from the Holy Spirit. Following chapter 28, chapter 29 goes on to detail all of the monetary wealth that David passes on. It's extraordinary. He passes on resources for this temple that include mountains of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, onyx, turquoise, precious stones, and marble. And then David donates all of his own personal wealth as well. And in response to David's generosity, chapter 29 tells us that the leaders gathered and they donated tons of wealth for the building of this temple. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible inheritance to pass on. As I was thinking about passing on things, I was reminded that a few years back, my husband Brennan and I, we got the free trial of Ancestry.com for like a month. Has anybody done this? So Ancestry.com, you put in all the details of your birth and your parents' birth, and then they start to accumulate records. So you can look at who your grandparents, great-grandparents, they look at um, baptismal records and death records and everything you can imagine going back. Before we started, both Brent and I were able to trace at least one line of our family, maybe like four or five generations back, a little bit farther, but not very far. We didn't know much. And as we started to dig in, we found photos of relatives that distant relatives had posted, crazy amounts of information of where our families had come from. It was actually remarkable what you can dig up in records. But as I looked at the information on the screen, all I had to do was go two or three generations back, and I could no longer put a face to that name. Like these people just started to feel distant, right? Four generations back, and I didn't even recognize the names anymore. And as I kept going back, I realized that I really didn't know anything about these people. I couldn't pronounce their Dutch names. I had no stories to tell about these people. I didn't know if my face looked anything like theirs. I don't have any of their possessions anymore. I don't know what they did for a living. I don't know what their personalities were like. And I don't know who started loving Jesus when. When did that enter my family line? It's interesting that we as humans spend our lives trying to make something of value that we can pass on. And yet, history has such a short memory. Possessions and wealth can be passed on. I've got some furniture and some jewelry from grandparents, but those things don't last more than a few generations. Names are passed on, but we forget who bore those names and why that mattered. Stories can be told, but eventually those get forgotten too. Even culture and religion and worldview starts to go away and shift with each, life, each lifespan. But here in First Chronicles, we have a king passing down an inheritance that you can't fathom disappearing, right? It's, it's huge. And I wonder if David wondered at that moment how much of what he was passing would actually stand the test of time. Scholars estimate that what David passed on monetarily would be the equivalent of $20 billion today. $20 billion in gold and silver and bronze to create candlesticks and decorations to basically paint the place till it shines like the sun. $20 billion in high quality wood and marble and other fine stone to build palatial porches with massive pillars and gleaming floors. Can you picture it? It's just astounding. $20 $20 billion in onyx and turquoise. He bedazzled the temple. It looked like a kaleidoscope. It's unbelievable. David's been saving and saving and saving for all these years, hoping to build this incredible download that the Spirit of God had put, seared in his heart. And he takes it all. And he gives it to his son. And He's not even finished yet. David is standing in front of the leadership of this entire nation to make clear that despite any of his other 19 sons' claims, all of it goes to Solomon because God chose Solomon. Solomon gets the kingdom. He gets the throne. He gets the authority. He gets the leaders and the generals at his beck and call. In verses 2 to 10, David explains that he had it in his heart. That means like in his, in his deep desire, the deepest desire of his inner man, he wanted to build this temple, this resting place, this footstool for his God. But through the prophet Nathan, God had told David that because, that Dave, because David had been a man of war, he wouldn't be the one to build the temple. So he's passing on. The wealth, the authority, this vision, this calling. And it's interesting that David shares it all so publicly, right? Like he's not even ashamed that God said no. He just passes it on. In great humility, David goes on not to talk about other things, but to share, God took this from me to give to you. And I want to talk about God's tremendous goodness to me throughout my life, says David. He recalls that God had chosen him as a young shepherd boy, the youngest son of Jesse, the tribe of Judah, to be king over Israel. God had promised David that he would sit on this throne and that if David's sons were to obey God, that his line and this kingdom would be established forever. And all this was going to Solomon. God would be Solomon's father and Solomon would be God's son. And God passed that same promise from David on to Solomon. Over the years, David had gleaned some wisdom about walking obedience with his God and leading this kingdom. And so as he passes this all over, he turns to the leaders, the gathered assembly, and he's got words to say. He says, be careful to follow the commands of God, that you may possess the land and be able to pass it on. Now, this be careful verb doesn't just mean be careful. Like, it means diligently seek look out for so it's not just follow the ten commandments it's do the work of asking god what his will is this is the cost of keeping the inheritance then david turns to solomon and he says "I, i don't like the translation here the word acknowledge doesn't cover it because the word here is yada can you say yada this is the word used to describe how a husband and wife know each other it's like the deepest human intimacy that we can fathom Yadah, Solomon, know God. Know him in your inner being. Serve him with all your heart and all your mind, because his chest reminded us, if you seek Him, you'll find him. And if you reject him, you too will be rejected. Notice that that, that knowing comes before the serving. David concludes his kingly wisdom with a command that the whole crowd likely would have been familiar with. David quotes God's own words to Joshua. Do you remember that? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. This is what God said to Joshua after Moses had done the work of delivering God's people. This whole vision of entering the promised land. Moses did all that work and it all gets handed to Joshua. Isn't that interesting? David and Moses, two men who battled their whole lives for great purpose, for great promises from God, men of great faith, but also great failure. Two men who passed on the fruits of their labor to the next generation with great humility. Two men who walked with God through unfathomable circumstances. And yet David never laid a brick of that temple because of the blood that he'd shed. And Moses never tasted the land of milk and honey because he broke faith with God in front of the people, and he failed to uphold righteousness among them. So just as God had said to Moses' successor Joshua, David looks to his son and he says, Be strong and don't be afraid, and do the work. If you really really boil all of this down, what David is passing on is, is the accumulation of his faith. Right, like we think about faith as sort of this nebulous emotional thing. But this is, this is it. This is what David is passing. My faith down to his son. It's faith that God's plan to establish this kingdom that would last forever would come to pass. It's faith that all of this would flow from obedience and relationship with God. And it's faith at the very end of all of it that God would keep his promises. As Pastor Gina said in her sermon a couple weeks ago, the pursuit of God's promise is never one generational. If the promise is not yet fulfilled, it keeps going. It keeps passing until it comes to fulfillment. David and Moses passed on their faith because they weren't just thinking about themselves. They realized that God's promises for them went beyond the span of their own lives. It's worth noting that none of David's riches that we read about are accounted for today. None of them. The throne of Israel is long gone. The glorious temple that Solomon built was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar in 597. It's all gone. But friends, you and I read the wisdom of David. It's still here. And Jesus, born of the line of David, is very much on the throne. Amen? God kept his promises. Sin stripped away all of that earthly wealth, but God's promises have stood the test of time. And faith in God's promises have carried God's people for all of time. Last week, Pastor Gina read Hebrews 12, to 3 which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews clearly understood the gravity of passing down faith. I recently heard a sermon about this passage that absolutely blew my mind, so I can't take credit for this. The pastor talked about relay races. Has anybody seen runners run a relay? Okay. Now, at the end of a relay, like if I'm the first runner and I run my race and I pass off the baton to Mary to run the next one, I'm not going to go back to the locker room, am I? What do I do? I wait. I watch. I cheer. I, I pay attention to every runner in this race. We're a team. We run hard so that the next one is set up to do even better. We are wholly dependent on each other, and the prize at the end is dependent on our cumulative effort. Right? If the ones behind me fail and fall and then they don't finish, what happens to me? I, I don't get anything, right? This is the great cloud of witnesses watching us run our race that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. David worked hard to pass his faith on to Solomon so that Solomon might pass it to his son and his son and his son after him. So that we do this until God's promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and you and me are entirely fulfilled. Each runner in the race makes up the great cloud of witnesses cheering and praying us on to the finish. The disciples, the martyrs, the early Christian fathers, missionaries, pastors, nuns, Sunday school teachers, pastors, neighbors, and ordinary people like you and me who run our legs of the race by faith, make up the great cloud of witnesses. Faith that's been passed on from generation to generation is what's carried us. And it's the greatest and most profound thing that we pass on to the next generation. It's the only thing that's going to stand. Someday together with that cloud of witnesses, we'll celebrate the end and the reward that's promised. Last week we heard a sobering message about the very real reality that there could come a day where you and I as Christians are persecuted, even in this nation. And as I thought about this, I wondered, is the faith that I live, the faith that I model, the faith that I teach and preach sufficient for who comes after us? If these days come, will they be sufficient to carry me? If these days come, do I, yada my God, enough to endure? Do I know him? Am I obeying and seeking? Am I showing all who come behind me what that looks like so that they can too? And I think this morning, the Lord is inviting us to consider that. It's only a few years ago that he, he told us to think carefully, give careful thought to how we build. And I think the invitation this morning is to give careful thought to the faith that we're living and passing on. And so I want to pray for us as we come to a close. God, so often we think about faith as our own personal decision and yet it's such a gift from you God faith is a gift and we thank you for it Lord we thank you for faith that has carried your people through generations we thank you that you always keep your promises and that we are never put to shame as we walk by faith And so, Lord, as we consider the weight of your words to us this morning, Lord, I pray that you would apply it to each one of us. Lord, how is our faith being lived out, and how would you invite us to live out faith? Lord, how are you inviting us to pass on faith so that we might be prepared for what's to come? God, we thank you for this glorious inheritance, and we thank you that all of your promises our yes and amen and will come to pass. Amen.